Good evening, everyone. Evening. Good morning. Hey. <laughs> now they owe me a tenner now. <laughs> so good to be here. Hello, everyone. Can you understand my accent? No. Yes. So my wife's from Shoreditch. Well, sorry, she's from Romford. Her family comes from Shoreditch. They live in Harold Hill. And my wife said, you've got to speak slowly. <laughs> so we have two boys. One, they're from the half borough. And half Cockney, so we call them Bockneys. <laughs> Butter Cockneys. Um, but it's great to be here. It's great to meet Duncan and to see Jill and Becca, who's up the borough. Yeah. You know, right. Becca's from the borough, the promised land, you know that. <laughs> and uh, so I'm always looking for bargains for Christmas presents. So um, when I was looking around earlier, I seen this cutlery set, cheap. And I thought, I'll get that for Natasha but there's no spoons or knives. I thought it's a fault that counts. <laughs> so, just before I got here, yeah, we had a load of snow, so I sent her a load of snow. I rang her up and said, you get my drift? <laughs> it's better than Valentine's Day when I got her a load of helium. Didn't go down well. So I could sit here all night and just tell jokes. Yeah, so... So my name's Graham, as you've gathered, I'm married to Natasha, I've got two boys, Caleb and Boaz. One lives in London and one's with us at home. And uh, I've just been blessed, but, you know, when Becca rang me and said, would I come down, I said, no, no problem whatsoever. And uh, she mentioned the theme was peace, which I've been talking a lot about peace, but we can either live in peace or pieces. And sadly, I lived in pieces, which I didn't realise. When I was 10 year old, something bad happened to me. My mum left. She was my world. You know, we lived in this little house with three uncles, my nana and granddad, and my mum. And in the little box room, my little bed was at the end. Can you believe I was little once? And uh, at the end of the bed, and my mum was there. And so my mum was always there. She worked hard and as a barmaid. My nana was poorly, she was mentally ill. She used to drink on the weekends and during the night and she'd have electric shock treatment and all, often try to take her own life. But she was, she was full of love, my nana, but I didn't get it. I didn't get it, but she was always talking about this fella called Jesus. And on a Sunday, I didn't let anyone come to my house because she played this song, uh, which was, to you youngins, you might know about vinyl records, but there was a little record and on one side I had one, one day at a time Sweet Jesus and the other side I had the old rugged cross and my nana played that constantly all Sundays and in my house people used to just walk in so I used to just think that day no one's allowed to come because he drank too much lamb's navy rum and maybe he's drank a bit too much lagactyl but I didn't realise that my nana had her own relationship with Jesus in her own way and so when my mum went, I had a couple of options um, because I'd become very vulnerable. I cried myself to sleep most nights. I sat on the stairs waiting for her to come home. She didn't come home. And I used to see her for an hour a day and never see her on a weekend. So I had a few options. I either continued being this crybaby and cry in my sleep, which people call me, you cry baby, and you, you know, grow up and all that. I was, I was at, you know, nearly 11, and all these things were shot at me. 
Or I could go with these other lads. And these other lads were in a gang. And in this gang, they got into a thing called anarchy. Even though I couldn't spell it, I was in this gang called, which was in anarchy, anything wrong. So I made a decision that I was sick at that point of anything good happening. Because that, when something good happened, something bad happened, I mean really bad. And um, so my mum used to come home for Christmas for a week and then go. So I, I, I thought, sack it. Do you, do you understand what I mean by sack it? I don't mean Santa's bag, sack it, but, but I, I said sack it, I've had enough. And I joined this gang and got a real good reputation with the police. I used to be dead happy because they knew my name. I'd walk through Middlesbrough Town Centre and uh, walking past the Cleveland Centre and things like that, which Becca knows all about. And I'd walk down the street and they'd, they'd know my name. And people were there and I'd think, they know my name. And uh, so a lot of bad things happened. I got arrested, went to court quite a lot. When I was 15, nearly 16, the lad was killed. They took me in the police station and uh, interviewed me about a murder. I didn't really care because I, I'd shut my heart down to any emotions. Me poor Nana, I'd give, I didn't give her any feeling. My mum was history. I'd, instead of being caring for my mum, I now hated her. I violently hated her and I didn't want to see her. And so I just got into this bad stuff. The lad had died accidentally by a bus running him over. But I went to prison eventually when I was 16. I went to a detention centre where it was very difficult in there because there was one thing I hated was being told what to do. And if you said go left, I went right. If you said that was black, I said it was white. I was totally the opposite to any authority you you represented the authority to me in any form. I hated you and I wouldn't listen to you. I'd been kicked out of school. I couldn't read and write properly. And so I went to jail for the first time. And the government had said, let's give these kids a quick, sharp, sharp shock. And in that jail, I lost my first tooth. Uh, I was put in solitary for trying to attack the staff. Uh, I couldn't see out my eyes when I was in there. But what they did is they hid me from the public. So when people came to visit me, they said, he didn't want to see you. And, you know, my letters got binned. I had my ribs broken and all that kind. But it was all to do with me, what I was doing. I was, I was just against the system. So when I got out after that prison sentence, I was really angry. I've never liked bullies, so I was angry. But I was still involved with the gang culture. Because I realised that this, these gangs were like a family. And so what happened next was I stepped into another gang, a bigger gang, that did better things than just like Nick Beer and fight on the streets in Middlesbrough. These men and, and some women went around the country to fight at different football grounds. And I joined them. We were called Middlesbrough Frontline. And it wasn't long until I went to Barstool after joining them. And then after that, I was involved in a big way. And uh, I've had some major CUC uh, attacks on me when I've been involved with that. I've had my finger chopped off. I had my arm ripped open so badly once at Leeds that my muscle came through my arm and was moving. Duncan told me to tell you some gory stuff, so I am. <laughs> I've lost all my front teeth. They're not there now. And uh, I've, had, I've had a bottle in both eyes. I was hit over the head with a sword. I've had my eye cut open at West Ham. I've been stabbed in the arm and chest, four times. 
I've been on the head with hammers, I've got delves in my skull. And uh, the last major thing, I mean, I've had my bit of my chin took away, but the last major incident that happened to me was I had both my shoulders pulled out the sockets. So when I was handcuffed like that, my arms were like that. So when I went to the police station, uh, the hospital, they had to pop my arms back into place. And so all them things, I still thought the clothes and the reputation was like a peaceful thing for me. Can you believe that? I should have been called Bungalow, there was no upstairs. And uh, I was still thinking that all this life was going to be okay with me. And um, I decided in 1989, I was sat in a cell in Durham prison again. And I made the decision that I was going to leave Middlesbrough. Not the team, or the, I was, I'm always from Borough, but I needed to get away and start a new life. So when I got out of prison in September 1990, I went to live in Wakefield. And I started a new life. I got a job in Lupsit, which was Empire Source catalogue firm. And things were going well for about three weeks. And uh, this is why we should be very careful of our thoughts. And uh, if you read the book of Hebrews, it, Jesus talked about our thoughts before he talked about what we see. And uh, my thoughts that morning, was no, there was no problems that no one had set out. But all of a sudden this thought came to my mind that I was an idiot for working here for a hundred quid a week. When I could make a hundred pound in 10 minutes in Middlesbrough, working for the firm and selling counterfeit clothes and bits of debt collecting and things like that. So I started robbing the factory. And uh, if you joined my store's catalogue firm in 1990, you got a three years in the watch set. And so I used to take them, bags of them, and sell them in Wakefield for a tenner a set. And um, I brought something tonight with me, so Duncan, <laughs> Duncan mentioned the books, well, just underneath. <laughs> the 15 quid now, like inflation. <laughs> so it is an air set. But they reckon everyone in Wakefield in 1990 had his air watch set for Christmas. And uh, so I, I eventually got, got the sack, and I wonder what I'm going to do. Well, I was a big fella, I trained really hard, and one of the things I trained for if you look in the book you'll see pictures of me when i was young i was really tall and slim i've always been good looking i can't help that you know but listen girls you all think what a great catch he is but i'm married so <laughs> you've had it so 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 I'm, I'm on for two hours by the way so so what happened was um i i Got a job on the door because I wanted to look good. I was a big man, trained hard and boxed and did all that stuff. And I trained hard in prison. And I got a job on the door. Well, in 1990 to 1991, New Year's Eve, I hit an undercover policeman and I went to prison again. I, I got two years in a jail called Army Prison in Leeds. And then I got out of that prison. I came home to Middlesbrough. And when I got home, I thought everything was going to be okay. I'd get that peace back where I'm with me mates and we're having fun. Because I thought peace and having a life where you were happy was with things, clothes and people knowing you and um, drinking and eating nice meals and girls and all. I thought that's where peace was. That's what it was all about and having money. But it wasn't because that, yeah... 
1992 when I got out of prison, I went back to Middlesbrough. I was depressed. My best friend, he'd settled down, he had two kids and names of pubs were different and people were different. And I wondered what I was going to do with myself. So I got through Christmas and it was the end of January 1993 and these people were on the red light district drinking and they had music on and people, girls were there and, you know, they had the boys who were like there for them to take the money and look after them. And it was a really, really dark place and I just sat there and one night when everyone went home and I was drunk, smoking cannabis, I thought this is going to be my home forever. I never ever want to be inside again, I'm going to live here. This is where I'm going to live freely. So for three years I lived on that bench. I lived in different parts of that, that area. I sometimes lived in the bushes across the road. But I drank and drank and drank till I was unconscious. Some mornings I'd wake up, some afternoons I'd wake up. My eyes were shut where I'd been beat up by enemies and they took my shoes from me and, and, and I'd been whacked with that baseball bats. And, but I didn't care. And then I got onto heroin because the drink wasn't enough, so I injected heroin, smoked crack again, drank vodka. But um, in 1996, as a tramp, with things like my socks had to be surgically moved, I had the clothes on that I was wearing. I'd had them on for months, you know, like seven months. I never got, got changed. I stunk, I mean, really badly. And um, I was sat on this bench, and um, what happened was, uh, in 1996 of March, some men came from an organisation called Teen Challenge and told me that Jesus loved me, this story's going to get better now. So these, these lads told me that Jesus loved me and uh, I said to this lad, there's no such thing as love and there's no such thing as Jesus because love is a man-made man manipulation tool. If I tell someone I love them, I do what I want with them. And Jesus, there's no such thing as my nana sang about Jesus. And I didn't think my nana had a good life. So I chased him, I told him to go away in French. I think I said, like, please leave me alone. But they went. And the next week it was in German. But <laughs> I got rid of them every week. I didn't want to know them. And that year, 9th of August, 1996, I collapsed and went into a coma. And I was in a coma for six days and my best friend came to the hospital Stayed there for six days and he rang my mum constantly to say they need you to come because he's seriously ill. And then on the sixth day, the, the, the consultant rang my mother and said, he's died. There's nothing we can do for him now. We need you to come and sign some forms. So my mum went to the hospital and signed these for, uh, was going to sign these forms. But then Tony came and said, there's some men. We want to talk to you about Graham. They've been trying to help him on the street. And they came into this room where I was and put their hands on me. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, give this man your life. And I woke up, pulled the ventilator machine out of my throat and started breathing myself. And uh, the next morning, the Saturday morning, I fully came round and my mother was there. And she told me that story. And I said, well, it, who did the prayer to? And she said, Jesus. And I said, well, what does he want to know about a scumbag like me for? Because I didn't realise that Jesus loved me and died for me. I didn't realise that. I didn't know it. No one had ever told me. 
And so I laid in that hospital bed for seven weeks. I had to get taught to walk again by them physioterrorists, I mean therapists. <laughs> they got me walk. Sorry if you're a therapist here. I'm just joking, by the way, because I know you'll have me outside. But, <laughs> but I, was, I, was got, I got to walk again and I left. And all I can tell, tell you is I went into that coma, an addict, a heroin addict, and crack addict, an alcoholic, a bit like Arnie Schwarzenegger and Rocky Balboa. And I woke up like Mother Teresa and Cliff Richard. <laughs> I knew inside that I was never going to drink again or smoke again or take drugs. And I'd been an addict. I didn't know about the violence. I didn't know about anything else. But I just knew that I knew that I was never going to drink again. I left hospital. And then I went on a course called Alpha, which Becker will probably tell you about Alpha. And on that Alpha course, I made the decision, it was November the 9th, 1996, quarter three. And I made this decision, I said, Jesus, if you were real and you love me, you'll come into my life and show me. And there and then I fell back on my seat and started to weep. I couldn't stop. Now these weren't the tears of the little boy who cried himself to sleep, waiting for his mum and looking for his mother. These were tears of hope and joy and peace. I had peace. I knew what I was going to do. No one told me about Jesus. No one told me that he was real. No one told me that he loved me. Nobody told me that he died for me. But I said, Jesus, I am going to tell everybody from this moment on, every day, that you love them. And I've done that every day for 27 years. Every day, every day. If I'm at home and it's a Sunday, I go and find someone and tell them Jesus loves them. I was thinking to myself, I hadn't really told anyone today, so Duncan took me to this cafe. I thought, I've got to tell these two people, these two women at the... And I told them, didn't I? about Jesus, because I thought, I've got to. I can't sit next to them. I mean, there used to be a funny story years ago that when they seen me, I used to have people in the headlock saying, you've got to know Jesus. <laughs> but I don't do that now. I just threaten them. No, I don't. <laughs> but I don't have to do that now. I just tell them, and it's up to them then. And so then I got married, and I took two boys. And my life is amazing. And that boy who always wanted to see his mum at Christmas because my mum came home, as I said, every week for Christmas. And then she left. But you know what? My mother died two and a half years ago. And I was at school when she died. And I had peace. Because I knew where my mum's going. I do know that she's going to sleep. And I know where she's going to go. And I have an amazing, amazing life. And I wanted a family. I've got my own family, as I said, Natasha, Caleb and Boaz. But I've got an amazing family. I want to finish with these two stories. One is, there was a man called Alexander Soldanison. He was in prison in 1950 in, in Russia, Soviet Union, sorry, which is Russia really, but he was in this prison, really bad prison. And... Um, when he was interviewed, he was in there for eight years. And when he got interviewed, they said to him, did you ever feel like committing suicide? He said, yeah, once, just once. He said, but we weren't allowed to speak to each other. We were told if we spoke to each other, we'd get severely beaten. 
So we couldn't speak. I couldn't speak to my cellmate. He said, my cellmate looked over one day and I was at the point of taking my life. He said, my cellmate somehow or other knew. And because he couldn't speak to me, what he did, he leant over and he drew a picture of the cross in the sand and in the mud on that cell floor. And he realised the sacrifice of Christ and it picked him right up and he felt overwhelmed in that cell to go on and became like, uh, like he's been speaking and that before. But the other one is this big family that I've been looking for. I came here and I go over the places and go to Scotland next weekend. And Duncan and Jill and them, I know Becca knew me, but the, there's people here who don't know me, never met me before, who just welcome me as though I'm their, their friend, that they've known me forever. Why? Because I'm in this big family of God. And I recommend, honestly, Jesus is the greatest gift we can ever, ever, ever have this Christmas. God bless you. Thank you.